So in our gospel today, Jesus uses uh, an interesting expression there at the end. The, the prince of this world being already condemned. The prince of this world. Um, it's, it's, it's one of those expressions that when we hear, we think, well, could it not be another way? Would it not be better if the enemy never became prince of the world? What if we just kind of prevented that in the first place? Then there wouldn't be so much pain and suffering and there wouldn't be, there wouldn't be this enemy to overcome, basically. If the enemy wasn't created, then we wouldn't have to fight him. And the, the, the battle with the enemy, is, it's an interesting, well, interesting really is a, uh, the, the word falls very much short of the, the mark. It is a cosmic battle of intergalactic proportions with the, uh, the long-term consequences of eternal life. That's what it's all about. It's, it's a battle for heaven and hell. It's a battle against light and darkness. It's a battle against truth and lies. And we see in our world today, how this battle between truth and lies, how, how much apparent grey there is, or how, how grey things seem to be, uh, where things are bad, but look, I mean, there are certain times where maybe it's necessary, and you know, when we think of abortion, we think of euthanasia, we think of contraception, we think of um, even divorce, all of these kind of things, where it just becomes very easy. These things are now legal in most countries, uh, so if they're legal, then it must be okay, Right. Well, no, no, because we have God's law, not just, not just civil law to abide by. So then if these things are okay, if they're, if they're legal, then, then there's no problem with them. And then if, if you do voice your opinion against it, you're regressive and you're outdated and you're some, sort of, some breed of a uh, Neanderthal. So it's, it's a difficult kind of a world now because if so often the world doesn't actually want to know truth. We saw that, I've mentioned this before, but we saw this in the, the pro-life debate there back a couple of years ago when there was a referendum here in Ireland uh, as regards uh, abortion, whether it would be legalised or not. And yeah, the, the truth, statistics, facts didn't actually matter. It didn't, it didn't matter at all. It was, just, it, was, it, was the, it was the principle of the thing. If you quoted the, the various uh, weeks so the stage of development of, of, of the child in the womb, and you know, at this point there's the heartbeat, at this point uh, we've got brain activity, at this point, you know, it, it, didn't, actually, it didn't actually matter. That, that didn't change anyone's mind. It wasn't that, that the science actually backed it up. That's why our side was always talking about evidence-based research, evidence-based arguments, whereas the other side was like, well, what you're saying makes me feel bad, so you're wrong. And that was it. What you're saying is repressive, so it's wrong. There was no statistics like you know the fact that 98 percent of, of abortions in the uk have nothing at all to do with rape but to do a lifestyle choice it didn't matter abortion needs to be legal for rape even though as i say it makes up one in 50 of every abortions so then for every and so even if even even if you were to think it's okay in the case of rape you're paying for that one child to be aborted who was conceived in rape by legalizing the abortion of 49 other children like, but again, these kind of stats, the statistics, the truth didn't matter because behind it was an ideology. You know, abortion makes us free. Abortion is, is a choice that we should have. So it's very, it's very interesting to see how, how, how in this battle of, of light and darkness, uh, Jesus, who is the way, the truth, and the life, the truth gets attacked. The truth. Where it's not anymore about what's right and wrong, but it's about what I feel what I think and then I'm completely guided by my feelings so I'm married to this person but I feel attracted to that person I'm being unfaithful to myself 
if I'm faithful to her. So I must go off with this other person. And this is, this is how I, this is, she makes me happy. What is your problem? You getting in the way of my happiness? Yes, I know I have three children. I'll, I'll see them on the weekends. What's your problem? You know, and just, just it's all feelings. Feelings, 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 feelings. No reason, no intellect, no obedience. You know, it's, it's, it's craziness what we have out there. So that's why the, the prince of this world is given that title, if you will. Prince, by the way, not king. All right, he'll, he'll never be king. But princes can wreak havoc as well. Uh, how then do we do battle against this, the, the prince of this world? Okay, two things. Number one, we don't do battle by going head to head with him because I wouldn't do that. He's much smarter than you. He's much more powerful than you. So don't. Uh, we don't do, as I say, we don't kind of, okay, right, I've got my rosary, I've got my holy water and a brown scapular. Bring it on. <laughs> don't even think about it. Leave that to the exorcist. Leave that to, to those whose ministry and whose you know, God-given responsibility it is. Leave that to them. We don't ever, don't ever go taking on Satan like that. Because even if you are victorious for a while, and he can do this, like he's, you know, he's patient, he's been around a long while, he can actually let you be successful for five, six years you know, in deliverance ministry in order to cause you to sin in pride and then veer off the road of truth. You know, he can wait. He can lose, he can lose a few battles in order to win the war. So, so I, I, I do not recommend going head to head with him. You don't need to. We don't defeat Satan. What did Jesus say here? The prince of this world has already been condemned. He's already been defeated, but not by you, by Jesus. So leave that victory to him. Now, we do have to be wise. We do have to protect ourselves, absolutely. But again, it's, it's, it's kind of back to basics when it comes to, to this kind of thing. Um, we don't have to uh, think that there's some sort of kind of hidden message or, or hidden way of, of, of defeating the enemy. No, stay in a state of grace which means no mortal sin. Mortal sin separates you from, from this communion with God. Okay? No mortal sin, then you're in a you'll be in a state of grace. Avoid sin. That's what keeps us in communion with God. Then we have our, you know, the, the, the usuals in our, our sacramental life, regular confession, regular Eucharist. Draw from your, the sacramental grace. For example, if you're married, draw from that sacramental grace in your marriage. Believe in the power of your baptism and confirmation. You belong to Christ. Then we have our, all of our, our various sacramentals, our consecration to Our Lady, uh, rosary on a regular basis, preferably every day, uh, Divine Mercy Chaplet, Brown Scapulars, Holy Water, Miraculous Medals, all those things, Benedict's Medals, absolutely fantastic, you know, to, to keep the enemy at bay. But just don't, don't think you're some sort of a, a superhero going up against Satan. You're not. Uh, we're, we're not the victors here. It's the Lord. We, but we do have to be wise at the same time. Sometimes the way the enemy is defeated... It's not what we would necessarily like or choose. The way the enemy is defeated. If you look at the reading today, so Paul and Silas are thrown into prison. They've been stripped and flogged. Now, again, this is a flogging exceptionally unpleasant. Right? That would kind of ruin your day. Uh, you know, getting whipped and getting the skin stripped off your back. And then, of course, it's all done in public as well. And just the, the jeering of the crowd. Like, so you just, you just feel so dejected, rejected, isolated, hated, uh, and, and, and powerless, like you're tied. There's nothing you can do. You just can't protect yourself, can't defend yourself, and then just, you know, flog after flog. It's really awful stuff. And then, of course, you're thrown into prison. 
and then their feet are tied in the stocks. Now, again, these weren't velvet-lined stocks. No. These would have been used by the bloody guy who had been flogged before you, and his blood still all over them, and rats coming over, and oh, dinner. You know. So, like, it would have been proper mank. Don't quote me on that. It's very unscriptural. Um, but it would have been really, really disgusting. Okay? Awful. So there you are. And so, like, there you are locked up in prison after getting the, the back flogged off yourself. And you're thinking, Lord, why would you allow this? I mean, I'm supposed to be, like, you know, you said, you said you'd be with us always till the end of time. Could you not be with us in a field or, you know, in lush green pastures? Can we do that again? Does it have to be in here, in a prison, where I am now tied up and can't do anything? What's the point of this? Okay, but like they don't, in, in the prison, what are they doing? No, they're not complaining. They're not giving out. They're singing the Lord's praises, right? Late that night, Paul and Silas were praying and singing God's praises while the other prisoners listened. So there they are, like, you know, bleeding. Come by, my Lord. You know? And it's just, it's a lovely, I think it's important to imagine these things. Play these things in your head. Don't just listen to the reading. Play it. Imagine what's happening. Like, they're, you know, like blood dripping off them. And they're singing the psalms, probably. You know, it's just, it's a fantastic image. Like, then they haven't given up. And they haven't kind of, Lord, where are you? Why did you leave us? Not at all. Earthquake comes, right? Knocks the doors off. Now, knocks their chain, uh, breaks the doors off, off the thing and, uh, and break, uh, knocks off their, their chains. Now, ordinarily, you and I, I think, as soon as that would happen, straight out the gap. Well, I would anyway, okay? But they don't. They actually wait there. Now, the, 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 the prison guard then, who, see, who presumes, when he sees all the doors open, he presumes they're gone, goes to commit suicide. Because if you're the, the, the jailer and the prisoners escape, it's your head. You can't say, oh, sorry, uh, I didn't know, I didn't see, I fell asleep. Like, you will be killed if the prisoners escape. So rather than you know, go through all of that, even though the guy has a family, he's going to end his own life rather than go through what the... The, the, the torture that will, that, will be, that will fall on him. He's about to end his life, and the, the Paul and Silas say, no, 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 don't, 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 don't do yourself any harm, we're still here. And you can imagine the good jailer going, you're what? You just got flogged. Why, why, didn't, you, why didn't you run away? Why didn't you escape? Maybe, maybe the other prisoners did. So he calls for lights, he threw himself trembling at, at, at the feet of Paul and Silas and escorts them out, okay, saying, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? Now, he escorts them out. So now he was going to kill himself, thinking that they had escaped, and five minutes later he's escorting them out so that they will escape. What happened? There's, like, there's, a, there's a really, there's a, a huge change in these two moments. Like the, the, we don't know how far apart they are, but it's, it's the same night anyway. And one moment they're going to end their life, the jailer's going to end, end his life because the prisoners have escaped. And now, as I say, a short while later, he's escorting them out, saying, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? He saw the lived example of their faith. He saw the lived example of their faith in suffering. When we can love despite suffering, we have attained uh, a much greater level of love even than physical intimacy can bring us to. When we can love in suffering, as Jesus did, makes us Christ-like. So, 
This is what this, this pagan jailer saw in them. They love in suffering. Or they've transformed their suffering into love. And he's completely taken by this. They told him, become a believer in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved and your household too. We preached about this a couple of weeks ago. That the man converts, but you and your household will be saved. Again, very, very important message for all you parents out there whose children maybe aren't practicing and you're getting worried about them. Keep praying for them. Keep making sacrifice for them, a bit of fasting for them. Uh, don't give up on them. We entrust them all to the Lord. The Lord loves them and wants their salvation even more than you do. But this, this line from scripture is very powerful from Acts 16 if you're looking it up later. Become a believer in the Lord Jesus and you and your household will be saved. Then they preached the word of the Lord to him and to his family. Late as it was, he took them to wash their wounds and was baptized there and then with all his household. Afterwards, he took them home and gave them a meal. Keep in mind, these guys are still, their backs are raw, right, from a flogging. Takes them home, gives them a meal. And the whole family celebrated their conversion to their belief in God. At times, we would like to maybe imagine taking on Satan with our, you know, big swords and whatever, and just kind of, mm, a bit of that, a bit of, but that's not the way it works. Often defeating Satan, it, it, it's similar to how Jesus does it on the cross. Satan throws everything he has at you, but you respond in love. And that's, it's not the way we'd like to do it. We'd like to go down swinging, but that's it's not the way he does it. That Satan throws everything he has at us, and we respond with love, and that's what defeats him. Because then, uh, <laughs> I've taken everything from you. And you still love God. And you say yes. Well, because Without realizing it, he's, kind of, he's actually serving God. Because that prepares us for heaven. That in heaven, we, we will say with all of our hearts, Lord, you are enough for me. So no matter how much Satan takes from us, he's kind of helping, he's preparing us for heaven. He's preparing for this, for this attitude of heart, this, this, this mentality, that Lord, you are enough for me. So it, it works. It's not necessarily the way we choose. But it does work. Responding to suffering with love. It makes us Christ-like. It makes us like Jesus. And therefore prepares us for heaven. So as we meditate these, these beautiful words and these words of consolation today as regards our families and as regards the prince of this world being condemned and being defeated, we thank the good Lord for all that he does in our lives, in our in our battles, in our struggles. We ask for that same grace that Paul and Silas lived today, that even amidst suffering and rejection and failure, or apparent failure, we might always rejoice. And that people then seeing that we don't rebel against God when things go against us, that their hearts might be turned back to our Lord, our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen.